step on up, sit down, twist off that bottle top, or crack open that can. And welcome to Porch Matters. This is Terry Cagle coming to you from my back porch. Yes, sir. Yes, ma'am. The name of this show is Authentic. On Porch Matters, our saying is this. Big issues or just a friendly conversation. No topic is off limits. We take pride in being able to talk about anything with each other in an open discussion. Open discussion is one of the only ways to learn. Your perspective could be changed. You could change the perspective of others. Friends and family, welcome to another episode of Porch Matters. I'm glad you're here. This weekend has been very busy for me, and that seems to be the theme of every show that I start out with lately. I, it is what it is. It is my life. It's like I told Jarrett Samuels. I have exactly what I prayed for, so <laughs> I'm not trying to sound like I'm complaining whatsoever. To make a very long two weeks short, been very busy at work, drove down to Gulf Shores this past weekend, worked the entire time on the way down, ended up having to work some Saturday too. I was able to get about two or three hours worth of a vacation. So <laughs> drove back today. It is what it is. That was my second attempt at a vacation this summer. Same place. Both times. Outcome didn't turn out the way that I had planned, but very appreciative of being able to get to get the chance to go and get the opportunity to spend time with loved ones and hey we'll try it again next time right <laughs> we had a good time really did as best as i could i think you're really going to enjoy this week's episode but before we get to that Last weekend was date night with Stacy, and I had a plan to go to a restaurant for a review. I'm not going to name the name of said restaurant because while we were on our way, Stacy lives up around Hayleville, and the place that we were going to go was in Decatur have to go through the Bankhead National Forest on Alabama Highway 33, and there's not many ways around. If there's a wreck on that highway, you, you're pretty much at the mercy of the emergency response crews, or if you know your way through the National Forest, you could you know, take a small detour. On our way to Decatur to go to said restaurant that it will not be mentioned, reason why I'm not mentioning it is because I plan on doing a review on it later and I'm just trying to keep a surprise. But there was a wreck involving a motorcycle and a car. I, I don't know who you are, but I hope and pray that everybody is okay and recovered nicely since it's been a week. But uh, there was a wreck involving a motorcycle and a... Uh, and a car. Uh, 
we were able to take a detour, but it was a very long detour because we had to go back through the National Forest on a nice one-car gravel road. If you've been up to Bankhead, you know what I'm talking about. That was an adventure in itself. Finally got back out on the main road, went through Moulton, went up 24 towards Decatur, and by the time we got into Decatur, the restaurant closes at 8 o'clock. And Stacy nor I wanted to get there at 10 minutes till closing time. So... I asked Stacy to pick the place to go. And I told her that the place that we go was going to be the review for this week's episode. She gets on the internet, starts looking around, and tells me of the place. The review this week is the rail yard in downtown Decatur. When we get there, it's, again, right there in the middle of downtown. The door that we went in, you had to walk down some stairs, and there was some really beautiful artwork. I don't know who done it, but bravo. Very beautiful artwork. When we got in and sat down, I really enjoyed the vibe of the place, and the restaurant was down in the basement of one of the old buildings. It was decorated really nice, had old railroad photos and old re- and artwork, and things like that up on the wall. and We sat down and I ordered a unsweet tea. Yes, I know I'm from Alabama. I should be drinking sweet tea, but the doctor told me I'd, I couldn't have it no more. Said that I was too sweet. <laughs> so I ordered that and they told me to go easy on it because I didn't have but one pitcher left. Stacy ended up ordering the Southerner, which was a burger, that had had pulled pork on it. It had fried onions, white cheddar cheese, bacon, and then it had some slaw on top of it as well. I ended up ordering a Cuban sandwich. When I asked Stacy about her burger, she said that her burger, she said that her burger was all right. I reckon. <laughs> she says that about everything. <laughs> Stacy, I love you, but you know you do. She really liked the slaw, and she said that the burger itself didn't need any condiments because the slaw flavored it. I asked her if she would come back here again. She said, yeah, I guess. Whenever I ordered my sandwich, it came out, and it had a real good taste to it. Really enjoyed it. The only critique that I would have for it is maybe add a little bit more meat to it. Yeah, you know, I love meat on a sandwich. I like a lot of meat. <laughs> so, but we were both a little bit disappointed because we saw some loaded fries on the online menu that was, and honestly, that was one of the driving factors of us going there. When we got there, we didn't see that on the menu. And if we both had any other critique other than the, meat on the sandwich it would be uh, more of a selection but again very very small critiques the rail yard in downtown Decatur is hashtag fat boy approved 
we would both go back there again. If you're in the downtown Decatur area and looking for a place to eat, please swing in. I think you'll enjoy it. The Porch Matters Would You Rather question from last episode was, Would you rather wear t-shirts every day for a year or wear formal shirts every day for a year? Off of the Facebook page, Robert Jesse Dominguez says, I already wear t-shirts all year. Yes, you do, Robert. Backroads and Burgers says, T-shirts, please. On Instagram, Be a Man Bam says, My preference is sleeveless, so the closest to that are T-shirts. Very right. On Twitter, the Daniel R. Test Podcast says, T-shirts every day. At PSR Producers says, he posts a meme of what looks like Joe Dirt wearing a button-down plaid shirt with no sleeves. And he comments, and no sleeves, please, LOL. PSR Producer says, We are a mixed bag on our show, but personally, I am for sure a t-shirt every day. And, but trusted servant, Says T-shirt underneath the be- the dress shirt. All right. In the Porch Matters Facebook group, Hiller Custom Woodline says T-shirts. Christine White says T-shirts definitely. Terry Woodall Cisco says T-shirt for sure. Janice Cagle says T-shirts. Marcia Davis says t-shirts. Thank you very much for everybody that commented. I really do appreciate that. This episode's would you rather question. I'm going to take a chance on this one. You guys tell me what you think. Could be a fun one too. Would you rather break wind in front of your crush or get caught picking your nose by your crush. <laughs> I'm going to ask it again. Would you rather break wind in front of your crush or get caught picking your nose by your crush? Let's have some fun, shall we? Personally, I would rather break wind in front of my crush. Quite frankly, I might actually get a, oh my God, reaction, or if it's really good, I might get a high five. (laughs) What say you? Leave your comments on the Facebook page, Facebook group, Instagram, and Twitter. On this episode, Ryan Trembley of Monster Radio Podcast comes on to the porch and we ended up talking a little cryptozoology for you. It's been a while since I had talked a little crypto last time I was able to talk to anybody about crypto. It was Robert Dominguez of Bigfoot club. Hi Robert. I hope you're doing well. We go in, we talk about a, several different 
topics. It's not just uh, one particular one this episode. I really think you'll enjoy it. Ryan talks to me and shares his story about his own very personal dogman encounter that he had out in Arizona. He talks about the Wendigo. The calf killer comes up. And he also talks a little bit about skinwalkers. If you're into crypto, I think you'll really enjoy this episode. And I'm not going to hold you any longer. Without further ado, let's get started. Ryan Trembley, welcome to the porch, my friend. How are you? I'm doing very well. How are you today? Any better? I couldn't stand it. <laughs> That's what I like to hear. Now we're talking. <laughs> well, you know, I could talk about the heat wave um, I'm currently sitting in the middle of, but there's storm clouds over the top of me right now, and I am on my back porch. So if I was to talk about the heat wave I'm in, since you're in Arizona, you'd probably laugh at me. Oh, yeah. It's uh, 100 degrees here today. Not a cloud in the sky. No storms coming our way. So I am officially jealous of you. (laughs) How is life in Arizona? I actually have a friend of mine named Wayne that lives out around that way. You know, despite the heat, it's actually it's really nice. It gives me a chance to get out into the different fields and, you know, do my investigations, do my research. There's plenty of areas to go. So despite the heat, nothing to really complain about. We do have some crazy people, but I mean, what town doesn't, you know? Right. Mm-hmm. Have you, have you lived there all your life? No, no, no. I actually, I was born in New England in Massachusetts. So I grew up there for a good, you know, 16 years. So it was a quite the change going from New England to Arizona. What brought on the change? Well, my dad had passed away and my mom kind of wanted a new fresh start. So her sister lived down here in Arizona. So this is where we came and this is where I've been ever since. I can definitely understand that. Mm-hmm. It was quite a change. It was a very, very drastic change. No winter, no fall, just right. summer all year round where you get that brief break of, you know, rain, monsoon seasons and boom, right back to the heat again. So it's like, man, I'm not going to make it, mom, but I made it. So, yeah, you know, what got you into cryptozoology? Well, ever since I was a kid, I was actually obsessed with all kinds of monsters. You know, I grew up on the Universal monster movies, the Hammer movies, and of course, you know, Godzilla, Gamera. And as a kid, I started wondering, you know, are monsters really out there? My oldest brother, Sean, he introduced me to a Toho film called Half Human. I'm not sure if you've ever seen that one. Have you ever heard that one before? I've heard of it, but I've never seen it. Oh, it's such a great movie. It had such an impact on a lot of people. It's about a Yeti or a Bigfoot. And, you know, that really got me wondering. And so I started checking out books in my local libraries about Bigfoot and the Yeti and Chupacabra, Jersey Devil. And it just became a lifelong obsession. And now I've been doing it for 20 plus years. How did you get involved with Monster Radio? That's actually my show that I run with my girlfriend, Ashley Hilt. And ironically, she's actually a researcher like me. So we're a pretty good pair. She's the Mothman chick. That's what everybody calls her. The Mothman chick. Yeah, I mean, she had a Mothman encounter, and she studies that thing religiously. You know, she's all like I am. I'm Dogman and Wendigo and Skinwalkers. She's more the Mothman and the extraterrestrials and things like that. So we're a good pair. That's awesome. Mm -hmm. Have you had any experiences on your own, or are you just strictly 
is this strictly a fascination for you? Oh, no, 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 no. I actually, I had a dog man encounter all my own here in Arizona. Please tell me. Okay. So what had happened is this was about two years ago. My friend and his wife were going out of town on a vacation and they asked me to house sit for them. So, you know, I agreed to do that and I would do morning checkups, afternoon checkups and nighttime checkups. Well, one night when I went there, it was about midnight. This had to be about October. I was in the backyard because he has a huge, huge backyard. So I was checking to make sure there was no coyotes, no javelina, or even, you know, vagrants because we live pretty close to a riverbed. So we got a lot of homeless guys. And when I was out there, I heard a lot of strange noises. Like, you know, I, I learned to identify the sounds of nature around me. And this was something I had never heard before. It was a very deep growl that kept happening. And I thought, you know, okay, first, you know, someone's messing with me. That was my first instinct. So trying to be the tough guy that I am when I'm only five, 10 and a half, I'm like, Hey, you know, I'm trying to yell to get this guy to go away. And at first it, it settled down. There was no more noise. And then the noise picked back up again. So again, being a tough guy, I'm like, Hey, and as I yelled really loud, I heard a deep. And so I just kind of froze. I'm going, okay, what in the hell was that? We don't have bears in Arizona. We have mountain lions, but that wasn't a mountain lion. So as I'm looking near the edge of his property, I see something in silhouette coming closer and closer. And again, you know, I thought vagrant, whatever. But then I noticed the arms. They were really long arms. And I noticed the shape. It was more canine. And it was walking on all fours. It wasn't walking on two legs. So it was coming closer and closer towards me. And as it got closer, the security lights on his back porch kicked in. And when those lights went on, I was like, what am I looking at? (laughs) Because I was looking at this hyena-like thing. But this hyena... There's no hyenas in Arizona, but this thing was also starting to stand up on two legs. And this thing was staring at me and I'm staring at it. And I'm going, what in the hell is this? You know, and as we're just standing there staring at one another, I can see its ears going up, going down, its head tilting side to side. I see the amber glow of its eyes. And I knew from reading books, the amber glow was always a dogman trait. And as it stood up straight, I heard the hips pop. And that's another indication of dog, man. So this thing's just staring at me for a minute and out of the blue, it just does a bluff charge. It comes at me for about three feet and suddenly stops. So I, you know, I'm rooted in place. I'm terrified. I have no idea what I'm looking at. My mind's trying to make sense of it. And I'm looking at this bipedal hyena. That's about six, six and a half feet tall. You know, so I'm trying to go, what is this? There has to be a reason for this. This has to be something that I know already, but my mind couldn't make sense of it. I'm standing there. I'm looking at it. It's looking at me and slowly it starts to back away. And as it gets further and further away, I suddenly get that dose of courage where I'm like, you know, run, (laughs) be the manly man and run. So I just, I dash into my friend's house. I'm locking all his doors and his windows like a fool. And I call him up and I'm like, Hey man, I don't know what you're not telling me, but you got a freaking hyena in your backyard. And of course, you know, my friend's laughing his butt off at me. He's like, Ryan, there are no hyenas in Arizona. And you know this. And I told him, no, 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 dude. Literally, I saw what looked like a hyena in your backyard. <laughs> so the following morning, I started listening to like Vic Cundiff, Josh Turner. And I heard there's a hyena type. And so I'm going, oh, my God, that is what I had seen that night. I saw the type two canine variant. So Dogman became an obsession with me. For the people who are listening to this that have absolutely no clue what we're talking about, what is a dog man? Where does it come from? What do you know? All right. Well, originally, the dog man was something that was seen in Wisconsin along Bray Road, the Beast of Bray Road. I'm sure a lot of people have heard that name before. Basically, it's a modern-day werewolf. 
And then people in Michigan started seeing this thing. And then soon people in California were seeing it. People in Massachusetts were seeing it. People in Wyoming were seeing it. So, you know, all these encounters were happening nationwide. And it's basically a bipedal upright walking canine, which biologically makes no sense. None. (laughs) You know, but if you really want to put it into more common terms that people can understand, it is by all necessities, a werewolf. Does it change into a man and everything like that? No, I don't believe they do. I don't think they start out as humans and I don't think they change by the light of a full moon. I think these things might be something interdimensional or even ultra terrestrial, you know, but they don't make sense. No, but it's something to really look into. And when you start researching it, you go down one rabbit hole before you know it, you're playing twister to go down all the different avenues of this rabbit hole. (laughs) Could the werewolf stories of old actually be based off of a dogma? Yes, actually, I'm very impressed because that is my theory that Europeans and maybe even the Slavic and the Nordics and even the Celts, they saw a dog man and they assumed, oh, well, this thing started out as a man with really no proof to that. But I, that is what I believe. That's my theory that the werewolves were inspired by what we call dog man. In your research, have you been able to pinpoint an exact origin of the dog man? Or what causes a dog man to appear? You know, I've tried. I've tried looking at prehistoric species and even still, you know, a a canine species evolving to walk upright like humans. It just doesn't make any sense scientifically. And really, I don't think it's even physically possible. That kind of adaptation is drastic. You know, so my best guess is maybe these things are either A, a tulpa, where, you know, people are just thinking about werewolves so much that we kind of gave them life with all our thoughts, our energies, or they slip in between dimensions. And that's why we can never really find anything about them because, you know, once they're here, they do what they got to do, slip back into where they came from. That makes sense. Mm-hmm. It would make a lot of sense too, because we don't find scat. Okay. There's no feces from these things. Finding footprints from them is incredibly hard. It's not like Bigfoot. Bigfoot, we have all these trackways. We have fur, we have, you know, possible scat. We have noises from them. With Dogman, it's the polar opposite. That's interesting. I've heard of a Dogman, but I've never done a lot of research on them. I know just enough to get me somewhere between the ignorant and the stupid state. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Yeah. But I've always, I've always been fascinated with every aspect of crypto. Oh, yeah. So, it's, it's one of those topics that when you start actually studying one, you're going to have to start studying the other cryptids. And then this one and that one yes. and this one. Then you get sucked into the paranormal. Then you get sucked into the supernatural. Before you know it, you're studying everything under the sun to find answers to questions that keep evading you. You're also researching Wendigos. Yes, yes. My uh, specialty in cryptozoology is studying the folklore and oral traditions of various indigenous tribes. Well, if you would start from the beginning, where are the origins of the Wendigo? Okay, the Wendigo starts up in Canada with the Algonquins, the Cree, and the Ojibwe tribes. To these people, this thing is so feared that they don't even want to speak its name. So if you're around anyone from those tribes at all and you say Wetigo or Windigo or Wendigo, they start crossing themselves and going, no, 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 don't say its name. It's a spirit. It's a malevolent spirit that they say can possess a man or a woman, a child, or even dogs when certain cultural taboos are broken. And that main taboo is cannibalism. So when a human eats another human, you're inviting the Wendigo to take over you. It doesn't have anything to do with any dark magic. No, no, that's more the Yi Natalushi, the skinwalkers of Navajo belief. 
And the two are kind of similar, but the only similarity they really have is they're both known as evil. They're spirits in a sense, and they're just dreaded by everybody in that tribe. But with the Wendigo, they do have means of stopping a transformation. I mean, one of the most simplest ways of stopping a Wendigo is beef tallow, beef fat. Really? Yeah, they believe if you feed a victim beef fat, it unthaws their bones and their heart, thus stopping the transformation of the Wendigo. But on the polar opposite of that, if people don't believe someone's becoming a Wendigo or it's ignored, the full transformation takes place. Their heart starts to freeze. Their bones start to freeze. They don't even think like they were human anymore. They start devouring other humans. They start killing, you know, just anybody and anything that crosses their path. You know, and they become this, this monster that no longer really even looks human anymore. That's it's interesting. A, it's terrifying. When you really get into cases of alleged Wendigoism, of people becoming Wendigo, you kind of go, whoa, did that really happen? You know, one of the best known cases is Swift Runner. He was please, a... Please tell that story. I, okay. I've, I've read that story, but please tell it. For the people okay, well, it. he was a fur trader by, you know, by his job. That's what he did. He was a professional at this. And he had traveled this route many, many times with his family. And one winter, he came back to a tavern in his town, in his tribe, and he was talking about how he was malnourished. He was dying of starvation, but the people in the tavern noticed something very, very odd about him. He looked like he had put on weight. He didn't look malnourished by any means. He looked, you know, very, very healthy, very exuberant. And so as the more he talked about it, <clears throat> the more they started suspecting something was wrong because his family was nowhere around. They got him very, very drunk. And they convinced him to go and lead him back to the cabin in which he stayed with his family. Well, when they got there, it was a site of murder. He had eaten his family, his children, his wife, his mother-in-law. And very gleefully, he went into recounting how he killed each and every one of them. And he even said how he cracked open the bones and sucked out the marrow. Yes. So right there, they decreed that Swift Runner had become a Wendigo. He went through trial. They did put him on trial and they finally ended up hanging him. But the funny part is a mysterious part of Swift Runner is nobody knows where his body is. They don't know if it was buried at the fort in which he was hung. They don't know if his people came and took it and disposed of it properly. There is a rumor that his body was quartered. His limbs were all cut up and scattered across the country. Nobody knows. So it makes you wonder, was this really a case of Wendigoism? Did he really go Wendigo on his people? Were there any sightings of Wendigo after he was oh, yes. or hung or anything like that? Yes, yes. He's but just one. There's another Native American by the name of Napanin. He was actually on a excursion as well. And his uh, comrades noticed he started acting very funny. He started acting very nervous. He started becoming increasingly violent, telling his friends how he was going to kill them. He was going to eat them. And so they decreed he, too, was a Wendigo. So they tied him to his bed and he kept breaking his bondage. You know, he would always break free and he would try to attack his friends and he was trying to devour them. He was actually trying to eat them. So they were left with no choice. They had to kill this man. So they actually beheaded him, which is really violent. Think about, you know, turning an ax on your friend. That's pretty messed up, but agreed. But they do believe that he too was a Wendigo. That is amazing. It's pretty gruesome stuff, isn't it? It is. But it's fascinating as well. Mm -hmm. As you can see on this Zoom call, I'm just sitting up here on my table with my arms propped up. <laughs> up in this. 
Very interesting stuff, isn't it? Yes, it is. Well, it lends to the credibility of Wendigo, though, is there is actually someone who is known as a Wendigo killer. Jack Fiddler. I have not heard this. What was okay. that name again? His name was Jack Fiddler. He was a medicine man and an elder. And his specialty was he would come to those who claimed they were going Wendigo. And he would perform their version of an exorcism. You get to remember Christianity, Catholicism. It wasn't involved in their native beliefs. Right. But when that didn't work, he would have his own methods of killing these people to stop them from going full Wendigo. And one of his methods was he actually would beat the Wendigo out of them. He would physically beat the living crap out of these guys, forcing the demon to leave. Often enough, it didn't work. It killed the people, but it wasn't a successful stopping at all because, you know, you killed somebody. You right. didn't cure them of the Wendigo. You killed them. <laughs> and he ended up undergoing trial and he was actually executed for murdering people. But to his dying day, he swore, as his family did, his sons, they swore that they were stopping the Wendigo, the Wendigo. These people that he beat to death trying to get the keep them from going full Wendigo, mm-hmm. were there sightings of Wendigo after they died? Yeah, there was more. There was a, another creature that they called the calf killer. And what this, thing, this. what this thing would do is it would favor the bison calf. It would kill just nothing but the bison calf. And from the descriptions, they said this was a form of the Wendigo. Really? Yeah. And they really had a hard time stopping this thing. And they feared it so much. Every winter, they would hear the cry of the Wendigo. It was this careening cry that echoed louder than train whistles. And it would shake the ground. And when they heard that call, that cry... Everybody in that village knew the Wendigo was coming. If they knew the Wendigo was coming, what did they do to protect themselves? They got weapons ready. They had ceremonial weapons like, you know, silver daggers, which they would use to carve out the heart and then set the heart on fire. You know, and cut the body into pieces and bury it after you burned it in a silver box buried in hollow hollow ground. So silver to the Wendigo was basically like silver to the vampire. Yeah, and silver to the werewolf as well. In fact, the werewolf and Wendigo mythologies, both together, they're kind of an amalgamation. Because if you look at European werewolves, it's about a man becoming a beast after a curse. Right. And essentially, even though the Wendigo is thought of as a sickness or a disease, it breaks down to a curse. Because, you know, you're losing your humanity. You're becoming a monster. So, like the werewolf, it runs hand in hand. And then the silver, you know, like a silver bullet for a werewolf. What people don't know is also another way to stop a werewolf is, of course, a silver dagger. There's something very purifying about the metal silver. It's aligned with both the Wendigo, the werewolf, and also the skinwalker of Navajo mythology. While we're at it, share a little bit about the skinwalker. Okay, skinwalkers are a very, very terrifying tale. They're actually ones that I do believe exist. I wouldn't call them a cryptid, though. I think these guys kind of fall in line with the supernatural or the paranormal. They are shamans. They're witch doctors of the Navajo tribe that practice this thing called the witchery way. Now, normally their magic is a good thing. It's done to help heal the land, to heal the people, to create blessings. But the Yi Natalushi, the skinwalkers, they use it for the darkest forms possible. And when one dedicates himself or herself to this practice, they actually have to follow a very disgusting initiation where they either kill a family member, a close friend, or they actually practice incest and it's a way of corrupting their soul. So they're no longer pure. And upon the completion of these black arts, they can don the pelt of like a coyote 
or anything similar, and they can become that animal. And they use this ability to actually stalk their victims, the ones that they deem are in trouble with them. But their powers go so great that if you were to look at Yina Delushi in his eyes, he could possess you. He could take over your mind, make you do what he wanted you to do. Is there a Cherokee or a Choctaw version of a skinwalker? Yeah, there's actually the, the Raven Mocker, which is very, very similar. And they are said to follow around certain people with the intention of killing them. They're going to devour their souls when they die. And it's very similar. It's something that, you know, if you look at the two mythologies together, you can see a lot of things that they have in common. But the Skinwalker itself is exclusively Navajo. The reason why I was asking that, Mm -hmm. a couple of years ago, I did an episode with one of my friends. Okay. And just north of me in the... uh, in the Winston County area, there's a, there's a national forest up there called Bankhead. Okay. Used to be Indian land. Oh, the story goes him and a few of his buddies went over there and was, you know, checking out some trails and setting the other doing what you do in a national forest. Right. He seen this path and he decided to go down it. Uh Oh, <laughs> Hey, you know, he split off from the group, whatever. He gets down to the bottom, you know, as we call it in Alabama, he got down into the holler, the holler. Yep. (laughs) And uh, (laughs) he sees the staircase. It don't go anywhere. Oh, the staircase is in the woods, huh? Yes. He says it doesn't go anywhere, but he sees a staircase and he feels something compelling him to go up it. Oh no. He says he does it and he ends up going back up the trail. When he gets back up to where he started at, he finally finds his friends and they were just freaking out to the point where they were calling the county cops and everything like that. Wow. Um, According to him, like six, eight, I can't remember the exact number. It's been a couple of years ago, but several hours had passed since he split off from what felt like 30 minutes for him was ended ended up being several hours. Wow. They go back. Mm Mm-hmm. Because everybody wants to see if they can see the staircase after he tells them the story. They go back, him and like two or three of others that he went with, go back down the same trail, start hearing some rufflings in the woods. Uh-oh. Automatically, they're thinking squirrel, whatever. He says mm-hmm. all of a sudden, when he turns around, he sees an animal. It looks like a deer on on two on his two back legs standing up somewhere between six to eight feet tall. With antlers. Wow. You know what that sounds like? It, there's a thing called the knot deer. Please explain. <laughs> okay. The knot deer, they appear like deer until you actually look at them and you can see that there's all these things off about them. They'll have, you know, either sharp teeth, human eyes. They'll look almost like wasted deer, like zombies where they can stand up on two legs and, you know, you know, deer can't do this, you know, and there's a lot of theories that maybe these things are some kind of demonic entity, or, you know, some kind of supernatural entity brought into this world, which, you know, it's always possible with this crazy world we live in nowadays. I wouldn't just discount anything, but not deer yet. I mean, they do look like deer from a distance. And so you're actually looking closely upon them. Then you see these things that are not deer at all. Hence the name, the not deer. That is interesting. Yeah. That hate, whenever he told me that story and everything, I asked him if he had done any research and everything. And he actually said that 
he went somewhere to to a tribe mm-hmm. and told them their sto- told them his story and they told him it was Wendigo and actually gave him a book about it. Wow, really? Yeah. Yeah, that's possible. I mean, you know, it's funny because a lot of people picture Wendigo with a stag head. But originally, the Wendigo was never depicted as a stag-headed being from the Algonquian people, the Algonquins. They always pictured it more as a human that was extremely emaciated. Their skin was pulled really tight over their bones. Their eyes were sunken and hollow, pretty much turning black. They nod upon their own lips and their fingertips. You know, if you think of the movie um, The Descent, have you seen that movie where they're going into the cave and there's these bat-like creatures that are stalking them? I've seen bits and pieces of it. I haven't seen it all the way through yet. Okay. Well, if you watch that movie, that's kind of how I envision the Wendigo. Very human-like, but then you look at them and you can tell they're no longer human. You know, they have these monstrous teeth and the ability to just pounce upon us and tear us apart. You know, so the stag-headed thing, where that came from was Algernon Blackwood's novel. When he wrote that book, he drew a picture of it and he drew it with antlers. So there on out, people started thinking, oh, it has antlers. And they took the Nordic God that has the deer head and they applied that to the Wendigo. But that's not the correct depiction. I was actually fixing to mention something along those lines because the stag head goes all the way back into Nordic times as far yeah. as the symbol of power. Yeah. Yep. And their berserkers used to wear those too. Yes. Yeah. That was a symbol of power for them. So that's all normal for the Nordic and the Slavic, but for the Algonquins, the Korean, the Ojibwe, it's never how the Wendigo looked. So it, there's a lot of things that I noticed as I was researching the Wendigo, like how much misinterpretation there is, you know, the wrong depiction, the wrong beliefs of how to stop it. It's really, it's a revealing world once you start diving in. And I would encourage any listeners, if you want to know some answers, do all the research, man. dig in, you know, get that shovel and go out into the desert and start back going to find those answers. Better be careful going out there in the desert doing that. You might stumble upon an Indian burial ground. You know, I'm actually fearful of that. When I go out there, I'm always like, please don't let me destroy anything sacred. Please don't let me destroy anything sacred. <laughs> Things will follow you home if you do that. Oh, so, God. I yeah, I hope it doesn't happen to me. But yeah, I mean, that's part of the skinwalker thing, too, that if you desecrate religious ground, it's enough to provoke the anger of the Yinalushi. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately for me, you know, they say they see skinwalkers out in Arizona a lot. So I'm going, oh, great. <laughs> awesome. That's that's one thing about it, though. You know, if you talk about sacred ground like that, mm-hmm. wherever we are, somebody at some point in time has been there, lived Absolutely. there and possibly died there. Yeah. Well, I think what they mean, too, though, is because, you know, to the indigenous people, it wasn't just one spot that was sacred. The whole earth was sacred. You know, so that basically every area you walk upon, it was sacred to them. It might not be sacred to us, but to them, it absolutely was. They were one with the earth and with nature. And so, you know, every place, every mountain, every stream, every valley was very important to them. So when we desecrate it, it's an insult to them. Agreed. Ryan, this has been great. And I know you're pressed for time. Where can my listeners find you? And follow you. Okay. You can find me over on Facebook under Ryan Paul Tremblay. You know, just request me. I'll add you up. I always love talking to listeners and new people. You got questions. I probably have answers for you. You can find me over on Twitter, Instagram, and you can hear me and my girlfriend, Ashley, over on Monster Radio. We record Wednesdays. We upload on Sundays. Now, we're really far behind because we both had health problems recently. 
but there is a brand new episode dropping this Sunday about the skunk ape. The skunk ape? Skunk ape. Yep. It's a, it's a form of Bigfoot seen in Florida. And if you look up the Mayaka skunk ape photos, you'll see what we're talking about. And I think for you, you know, you're really going to like this, Terry. If you look it up and you start digging into that story a little bit, you'd be like, oh, a new form of Bigfoot. It's one of our favorite pieces of evidence. We both love that thing so much. Anybody who says it's fake, we're chasing after him with pitchforks and hang ropes. So, <laughs> Where can my people find Monster Radio? On YouTube for now. So we're going to be uploading to places like Spreaker and iTunes sooner than later, I hope. We've just been really, really busy with our health problems. But once we get over this stuff, we're going to be on Spreaker, iTunes. We're going to start doing live streams every Sunday as well. You know, and you can get catch Ashley over on her own show on Wednesdays. We talk weird. Okay. I will do that. Definitely. She's fantastic. It's probably somebody you should have as a guest too. She's really super knowledgeable. Well, I, I hope this is the first of many appearances, sir. Oh yes, definitely. I mean, we must do this again sometime soon. Sounds good to me. Thank you, my friend. Oh, thank you for having me. It's been my pleasure. Big thanks to Ryan Trembley for coming on to the porch. You can find him on Facebook at Ryan Paul Tremblay. You can find Monster Radio on YouTube. Make sure you let him know you heard him on Porch Matters. If you are new to the show and like what you hear, hit that like, subscribe, or follow button and download the episodes in our archives. If this show has been a positive addition to your life, please rate the show and leave a review. won't take you but a minute, and it really would help the show. Find us on social media by typing Porch Matters Podcast into the search bar. Word of mouth is still the best way of sharing. Pick your favorite episode and share it with at least one person this week. There are a lot of people out there that have never heard of a podcast before. I sure would appreciate it. And I'll see you next time right here on Porch Matters.